Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Man, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, I uh, just got back from a trip with my family uh, over to Seaside, Oregon. Uh, we, we, I don't think we've done a, uh, a spring break trip before, but we did uh, this year. I don't know why. I think it's baseball and all that stuff has gotten in the way or what have you, but went over to Seaside, did some clamming. I've never gone clamming before. Um, I used to love clams until I cleaned the clams myself and then tried to eat them and was sick for the next couple of hours. Uh, I, if you've ever, if you've never, if you like clams, don't ever clean them because it is very, very gross. And so uh, I think I'm done with the whole clamming bit. And so um, anyway, it was, it, was, it was very fun. Uh, I got to see that. I'd never seen a razor clam before, like in, in actual life, never seen how they, you know, are in the sand there. What a, an amazing creation those things are. Uh, that was kind of cool, but we had a, a fun and restful time with our family, and I, I hope you did as well um, over uh, spring break if you uh, took a trip. Um, we're, as w- was just read, we're in Luke 24, uh, so you can open your Bibles to that beginning in verse 13. This is a very uh, famous resurrection story. It's, it's one of my favorites because uh, of Jesus' uh, disposition uh, in, in this story, in this time. It's, it's quite uh, fascinating to see how he uh, speaks with these uh, disciples and how he reveals himself to them. Um, it is, it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite the story. And ultimately, it ends with these disciples saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And they come to this conclusion. And my hope for you is that you would believe that, not just in the concept of it, that, yeah, I believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, but that, 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 that would take root in your life and that you would experience the risen Christ in your life. There's uh, many Christians today that essentially believe some things about Jesus, but, but when it comes to resurrection power, when it comes to the resurrection actually changing who they are, and transforming their behavior, and, and transforming who they are personally, that isn't quite there, because we've seen Jesus as an example. We've seen him as an example, rather than the one who was resurrected and can give you new life as well, and has actually given it to you if you are indeed a believer here this morning. He has given you new life, and that new life has the, uh, the ability to transform who you are and to cause things to be different in a positive way, to cause you to be somebody who is vocal about your faith, to cause you to be somebody who is out there and who is serving and who is really connected to this idea rather than connected with the idea of everything that's going wrong in our lives. And today it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to be somebody who is deeply connected with the idea of the resurrection because we have so many people who have this, uh, this disgust of anything supernatural. They have this disgust of anything that's supernatural and if you believe that, you're crazy, you're nuts. Add to that just the, the climate that we live in right now with, with everything that's going on, with the rise of, of the ever-increasing acceptance of LGBT uh, 
uh, stuff, gay, lesbian, uh, you know, um, transsexual, you know, all, all of these different type of sexes, all of the craziness that's going on with that, with these people who are image bearers, people in this room even, who struggle with their sexuality. But Christians as a whole, I just read an article this week that, that said that uh, Protestant evangelicals are the one people group, the only people group, according to surveys, that have actually decreased in their acceptance of that type of lifestyle. And I was reading this article that basically just said that uh, the organizations that oppose those kinds of things have really increased in donations over the last several years. The donations to these organizations have, have risen astronomically. And they're, they're talking about this and they're basically saying that, see, all of these people, it's just this group, Protestant evangelicals, who are decreasing in acceptance, they're paying money in order to create laws and to oppose these, uh, these reforms and things that are happening in our schools, that are happening in, uh, in our country and all over the world, really. And they talked about the Southern Poverty Law Center and how they list all of these hate groups. And lo and behold, like most of these hate groups are claimed to be evangelical. But many of them are just nutty, like Westboro Baptist Church, if you've heard of that. There's groups in there that want to reimpose Old Testament law to turn our country into a theocracy and stuff like that. And there's, there's just stuff in there that I think most of us in this room would not agree with. But what happens is this, is that when you see an article like that that says uh, that it's Protestant evangelicals who are opposing these kinds of reforms and who are against these people and, these, and, and, and it's these evangelicals who are almost exclusive. I didn't read through the whole list. It was, it was so lengthy, but almost exclusively all evangelicals that are on this hate group list. Like, I mean, right now is a really difficult time to be a Christian and it's going to increasingly become more difficult. What's going to stay you in that? What's going to allow you to remain a Christian in that? Not that you could lose your salvation, but there's many, many people who have walked away from the faith. There's many, many people who uh, have difficulty supporting their faith. There's many, many people who claim to be Christians who are supporting sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And what will keep you in the midst of that? What will allow you to be somebody who's deeply connected to this Jesus? See, people really take issue with that fact. Do you, do you really oppose those types of reforms? Do you really oppose those kinds of things? Well, I'm not sure that that's the question. That's not, that's not really the issue. The issue is this, whether Jesus was resurrected from the dead or not. And if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then he gets to decide what is good and what is evil. And then what he says is true. His standards are what is true. People push back on these standards. These, these, these rules that they say that uh, Christians have imposed and I was just thinking about it this morning before 
uh, I came up here, just this idea of cancel culture right now. This idea of cancel culture is if you step out of line, if you violate these rules, the no racism rule, the no sexism rule, the no, I mean, just <laughs> add to that, the homophobic rule, all of those things. If you violate those rules, you will be canceled. See, our, our culture is just as legalistic, is just as legalistic as any evangelical Protestant church might be. The only problem is it lacks any kind of grace. If you violate that rule, you will be canceled. You will be absolutely canceled. But Jesus offers a better way. He says these are the actual rules. I went to the cross because you violate those rules. And I've been resurrected from the dead in order to give you grace, in order to give you mercy. See, the resurrection is incredibly important. Let me look at the passage with you. It says this uh, in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they're walking along, and I think that this is God keeping them from actually seeing who Jesus is. There's, there's other reasons behind it, behind it as, as in Jesus is, is resurrected. He has a resurrection body. There's something different about him. That, that could be possible, but it's saying that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And here's the thing, we also don't recognize God in the midst of tragedy or, or the circumstances of life. We don't recognize Jesus. We don't see him where we're at. It says in the next verse here, it says, and he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. They're walking along, Jesus comes up behind them. Hey guys, how's it going? What, what you talking about? And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, they go, do you, do you not know? Like, how could you not know? Like, there's this devastation about them, and the devastation is rooted in this, this inability to, to believe, this inability to see. And let me just tell you, as we go through this life and we experience Whatever it is, the, the shunning, as we experience our world crumbling, as we experience life as Christians, there's going to be this moment, and maybe you're already in it, where you, you come to this place where you're like, you stand still and you are looking sad because you can't see Jesus in the midst of life's circumstances. Because you can't see Jesus in the way that you were brought up. Because you can't see Jesus in all of these things. My youngest daughter, was, uh, uh, she, she decided that she wants to make uh, me a scrapbook of all of my old pictures. 
And inside of those pictures, there was an old high school picture of a, I think the snowball or something like that with uh, a girlfriend, an old girlfriend. So this is a long time ago. This is not recent. Okay. So I just want to make sure that it's really clear. And uh, so she's working with me in the garage. And of course, she's very interested in this because she's seeing me in a picture. She's never seen me with another woman. And so she's seeing me in this picture. And so she's asking me questions about this. And so she's, she's saying like, oh, what, what happened there? And, and, and daddy, what, uh, you know, um, did, <laughs> yeah, why, why aren't you guys, why didn't you guys stay together or something like that? And I, and I had to tell her, well, she broke up with me, which actually happened a lot, you know, in my, in my life, as you, you might, you might be able to tell that. But, um, uh, in any case, uh, she, she broke up with me. And so she was like sad for me in that moment. And I said, but, but Finley, listen, I mean, I am so thankful that that ended because that could have easily gone into marriage. That could have easily gone into marriage. And I, I have been immensely blessed by, by your, your mom, my, my first wife, Chris, she's right here. Uh, and my only wife, uh, so, sorry. Uh, I've been immensely blessed by your mom. Like I, like I can't even imagine uh, having been with someone else. Like uh, God has been so good. But the problem is, as as I thought about that, I remember just the devastation that w- that had come upon me. As I think I was, I don't know, 21 or 20 or something like that when she broke up with me. And I remember just being so sad because I couldn't recognize Jesus in the midst of that circumstance. See, Jesus was in the midst of that relationship. Jesus was in the midst of, of, of that thing. Jesus is in the midst of our culture. Jesus is in the midst of your work life. Jesus is in the midst of your relationship. And the problem with Christian people today is that we can't recognize him. We can't see him oftentimes. And so we stand still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas. Now, there's only one guy named here other than Jesus. The other disciple is nameless. There's some speculation as to who it is. It could have been Luke, but that's purely speculation. But this is a a proof in part of the resurrection story. If you're writing a resurrection story and you're making it up, uh, you might have named everybody, but there's just one guy named and his name is Cleopas. He's not named anywhere else. There's nothing else about him other than the fact that his name is Cleopas. And it says, one of them named Cleopas uh, answered him and he's answering Jesus saying, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And Cleopas says to Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, think about this. You're talking to the Christ. You don't really know it. You're you're gonna regret saying this because you're like, have you been under a rock for the last several days? Like, where have you been? I mean, just like exasperated, just going, Are you the only one who doesn't know about this? And Jesus says to them, 
things. What are you, what are you talking about? Dude, I, I love this so much. And I think some commentators like to say, uh, no, Jesus isn't, you know, lying here or play acting or whatever. But, and I don't think he's lying either. But what, what I'm saying is, is that Jesus is, I heard one pastor say, he's just jacking with his kids. He's just jacking with them. He just, he just wants to be like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What's, what's been happening? And I wonder if Jesus is sitting there just going, I can't wait until I reveal this to me. Is Jesus like playing a joke a little bit here? He's just like, I'm gonna walk with them a little bit and I'm just gonna see how it's going. I don't think our lives are a joke. I don't think, I don't think he's, he's messing with you necessarily. But I like to think of Jesus as being this playful, saying, what things? What are you talking about? Oh, really? Oh, okay. And they said to him, what things? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth? You know, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him? Like that guy. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, but we had hoped. See, the truth about what they believed about Jesus, the truth about what they had actually seen about him, and I, I just, I just he, he, here's the thing. These guys walked with Jesus. They walked with him, literally walked with him. They saw him heal people. They saw him make bread out of more bread and fish. They saw him do all kinds of things. They saw him cast demons out. They saw him do this, they saw him do that. They saw him do all kinds of miraculous things. They sat there and listened to his sermons. They sat there and, and, and listened to his understanding and they were like, oh my goodness, this guy is amazing. He teaches with authority. These people were there and they have the audacity to say he was a man, he was a prophet, he did some mighty deeds, had some great words, but he was crucified. We had hoped he was going to be the one that was going to save us, but not looking good right now. And I just wonder, like how much do we think, like if he was standing right here, I would have believed him. Like if, if he was like right here in this moment, if he was like right here in front of me, if he was, if he was there, then I would believe him. But these guys walked with him and they say, but we had hoped. What were they hoping for? Well, redemption, the word redemption, is specifically tied to slavery. And they're basically talking about Israel being in slavery, to some degree, to Rome. They're, and the redemption that they have in mind is nationalistic. The redemption that they have in mind is, is military power. The redemption they have in mind is something of their own making. That's the redemption that they have in mind. 
And they're, they're committing an error that is very similar to our error. The error that they're committing is that they're, they're basically putting these hopes on Jesus. Jesus, if you're real, then you'll do this. If the resurrection is true, then these things never would have happened. If the resurrection is true, if Jesus is real, then what he wants is he wants me to be happy, right? And my marriage isn't working out and I'm not happy. And so I'm, I'm out. Jesus, if, if you're real, then you would redeem America. You would redeem the United States. You would re- redeem our country. As I said last week, the old guy who saw my Jesus t-shirt and said, we've got to get our country back. See, we can hope in a lot of things. We can hope in a lot of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. And you see what's hidden in there is that like, I see that he is a man and he's a prophet and he did some great things. But the truth is, when I look at these, this series of things, it makes me doubt whether he's really God. It's the argument that people use against, you know, uh, the existence of God because of the presence of evil. If, if, if God was real, then there really wouldn't be any evil. If God was real, then he wouldn't have allowed my loved one to die. If God was real, then he wouldn't have allowed, I think it's four people to die on the street corner right there just this morning. If God was real, but we had hoped that he was the one that was gonna abide by our program to do our thing, to allow us to live happy American lives. See guys, if, if your hope is in getting our country back, if your hope is in the, a, a moral reckoning of, of sorts in our country, and I'm not saying we shouldn't push for morality. It is hard to legislate morality. But if your hope is in that, then you can very easily jump to, we had hoped that Jesus was the one that was gonna redeem America. We had hoped that Jesus was the one that was gonna redeem whatever, but the truth is, now we've gone to another savior. And you can do that politically, you can do that relationally, you can do that with a substance. We, I had hoped that Jesus would be the one, but the truth is, I'm using a substance in this way. See, we're, we're, just, we're just looking for God's substitutes. We're looking for Jesus' substitutes. We're looking for a substitute that would actually bring us life. And so we think we will find it here, 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 or here, every, everywhere down here except for here. We had hoped that he was gonna be the one. And we can't see Jesus in all of this, all of this stuff. We can't see what he's like. We're just gonna stand here looking sad And I just gotta say, like when I look across the landscape and I, let let me talk about myself. Let me talk about myself. When I look at myself, I have to ask, I have to ask a question. 
Do I believe so wholeheartedly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it's transformed what I believe is, is going to bring me life? Do I believe so wholeheartedly, not in Jesus as example, but do I believe him in the power of his resurrection that can bring me new life? That's the question. How, how do we get there? How do we get to that point where we go, okay, I really, really, really believe it now. Like, okay, now I'm really gonna believe it. Now I'm really gonna start doing this. I mean, because I don't know if you're like this, but that was my frustration as a child and as a, a young man. We just go, how do I white knuckle this thing? How do I make this happen? How do I bring this about? The truth is, is that I can't. See, what's, what's, you know what's so beautiful about this? I, I don't have to white knuckle to get close to Jesus. Because you know what's happening? Jesus is walking with me on the road to Emmaus. And he's saying, what you thinking about? What you, what you sitting sad about? What are you depressed about? And I say, Jesus, can't you see what's going on? And Jesus says, what things? I had hoped that you were going to save me. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not telling you. I never told you that everything was going to be perfect. What I told you is I'm going to be with you. And that's Jesus is with you. Like, you don't have to white knuckle to get close to Jesus. Jesus is coming up on you on the trail. Jesus is there with you. He's walking with you. Like, that's, this is a beautiful picture of the resurrected Christ walking with us through life, through our difficulties, through our circumstances. And he has something for us and it's transformation and they said yes and besides all this it is now the third day since these things happened sure seems like this is a done deal he's not just dead but he's dead dead or dead 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 it's it's over all my hopes they say, moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as women had said, but him they did not see. They doubt the story of the women, typical of, of especially men during that day. And Jesus says to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. You guys, what, what you, your issue is, is this, that you're not believing what the scriptures have to say. There's a foolishness. And the foolishness today is the same foolishness then. It's an illiteracy of the Bible. It's, it's, it's being 
unknowledgeable about the, uh, the scriptures. It's, it's, it's not understanding what they actually say. It's not seeing them. And Jesus points this out and he says, you don't understand what the scriptures say. See, you can sit there and you can try to be like, I really gotta believe, I really gotta believe. And Jesus is saying, I'm with you in the midst of this, but here's what you need to understand. It's all written out through the scriptures. It's all in there and you just need to look at it. You just need to see it. One of the biggest things that we need is we need to understand our Bibles. We need to read our Bibles. We need to know what they say. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus says, when you think about what, what happened to me, when you think about what happened to me, was that, was that not necessary? Did that not need to happen? And basically Jesus is saying, it was necessary that he suffer and then enter into his glory. It was necessary that that was gonna happen. And you just need to see it. And then it says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. A very profound verse. Why is that profound? Well, first of all, because as I was growing up as, as a young kid in a fundamentalist uh, church, one of the things that was brought to us is, is that, you know, when you read a story, like take David and Goliath, for instance, when you read a story uh, like that, you tell the story and, and they say, here's all the good things about David. You should be like David and trust God and you should, and you should do this and you can do that and you can face the giants in your life, right? You can face the giants and you can conquer this and you can conquer that. The only problem with that is that David is not a type of us. David is a type of Christ. See, when David kills the giant, what he does is he brings honor to the nation of Israel. Just like Jesus, when he takes out the giant of sin, he passes his righteousness on to the church. See, the Old Testament is not a series of disconnected stories. It's not a bunch of fables that basically talk about this and talk about that and like, here's this moral and here's that moral and here's uh, this thing and that thing. And there, there are morals in there, but ultimately what it is about, it, it is about Jesus. It's about God's redemption plan being carried out through Jesus. Most of these guys in the Old Testament, in fact, nearly every single one of them with the exception of like one, maybe, Enoch, maybe Job as well, uh, just not a whole lot bad said about these two guys. But all of these people, as soon as you start reading about them, I don't know if you were here during the Genesis series when we're talking about Abraham, you get into Abraham's life and very quickly you realize, this guy's kind of weak sauce. This guy, he sells out his wife twice, two times. He's like, hey, just say that you're my sister. His wife gets taken into the king's or Pharaoh's house into his harem who knows what happened that, like that's just abraham look at david and murder murders his best friend because he slept with his wife 
I mean, are, are these people that you really want to follow, that you want to be like this person? The truth is we are like those people already. We are kind of weak sauce. And we need a savior. See, the Old Testament is about showing us who Jesus is. It's about showing us the need for Jesus. It's about showing us that the fact that we have to have a redeemer. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses three through five, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Like, Paul is emphasizing over and over again, this happened according to the scriptures. See, the Old Testament is pointing to the reality and the need for Jesus. It's not a series of moral stories. And so here's the problem with having a wrong view of that. You can look at the Old Testament and you can say, I'm not David. I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I, I haven't acted like him and all of his, his positive characteristics. I haven't, haven't been like Moses and trusting God in this way and that way. I haven't been like this person, like that person. And it can kill you. It can stifle you. It can cause you to come to this place where you're just like, man, I deserve to be canceled. I deserve to be canceled. See, that's, that's the thing with cancel culture, what everybody doesn't understand, is that cancel culture basically says this. Like, uh, if that person has sinned on that level and they deserve to be canceled, I deserve to be canceled. That's the beauty of what's happening in our culture today, is that people are slowly going to come to this realization that like, if that person deserves to be canceled, then I deserve to be canceled. And the thing that I need is what comes next. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. <laughs> and I, again, I think Jesus, said, uh, commentator said he's just play acting or he, he's not play acting. He really was intending to do that, but they convinced him. I don't know. I think Jesus was just like, yeah, I'm gonna keep going here. Right, we'll catch you guys later. And then they're like, no, no, you gotta stay. He's like, oh, you, you really want me to? Okay, I'll, I'll hang out for a few more minutes. Jesus like hangs out. I just, I love this personality, seeing the real Jesus. Stay with us. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's so hilarious. All of a sudden Jesus is like, boo. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And then bam, he's gone. Ah, it's so funny. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They're, 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 they're sitting there and they're going, I'm, I think on one hand they could be saying, dude, I knew it the whole time, I knew it. But I think on some level they're kind of sitting there, they're going, man, something feels so familiar about this guy. Like I just, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll see somebody and I'm like, I, I feel like I know that person. Like, how, who is I feel like I've met him or something. There's something about him that just seems so familiar. 
and they're freaking out, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11, and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. Do you see where faith came from? See, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus sat down and he unfolded the scriptures and he said, hey, you know in Genesis, you know, you know in Exodus, you know in Leviticus, you know in Numbers, you, 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 see, you see all this stuff here? It's pointing to me. It's pointing to me. They're reading that and they're going, oh, okay, see, faith comes by listening to Jesus. Faith comes by hearing what he has to say. So you can sit here and try to make a determination on, do I believe that the resurrection happened? But here's the thing, is that you've, you've got to look at the entire story. Now, there's a lot of great proofs about the re resurrection. There's a lot of great stories that are in, in the Gospels. But really, when you look at the whole thing and you look at, like, this is God. Like, he's been planning this from the beginning. He's been, he decided this before time began. He's been working this out. He's been working this plan, and when you see that in totality, and you know this God, and you see how holy and righteous and just, and how you deserve justice, you deserve to be canceled by God. But then you see the relief of the Redeemer has come. The Christ has risen. He's risen indeed, and as a result, what can happen is you can be set free. I love what Romans chapter six, verse five says. It says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, there's this, this guarantee of, like if, if we've been united with him in his death, if we've been, and that's what, that's what baptism is, being united with him in his death and then resurrected, he says, then we've been resurrected like him. Paul goes on in verse six, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We had hoped that he was gonna redeem Israel. I had hoped that, that he was gonna redeem, that he was gonna do this the way that I think he should do, that he should get our country back and we should have this national fervor for God. I had hoped that he would do that, but that's not the redemption that he was after. What he was after was your redemption. You being brought back from slavery to sin. Redeeming you through his resurrection. He proves it. He says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Men and women, if the resurrection, let me put it this way, if you don't have a wholehearted believe in the resurrection, then you do not have hope that he has saved you. The resurrection allows us to not walk around as sad Christians, 
worried about all the things that are happen, happening in culture. Jesus is king. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is in charge. Even though evil happened to him, it happened by God's plan, and God was in the midst of that. He was in the midst of that circumstance. Why would we walk around sad? The resurrected Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. He has set you free from sin. He has caused you to have new life. This is, this is not something to just know. It's not something to just believe. It's something to engage with. It's something to worship about. It's something to get your body involved in. It's something to get your finances involved with. It's something to get your marriage involved with. It's something to get your work life involved with. It's something to, to wrap your entire life around and just go, man, Jesus is walking with me. He's talking with me. He's resurrected from the dead. I've been set free from sin. I don't have to sin any longer. It doesn't mean that I'll be perfect today or tomorrow, but Jesus is still walking with me. And so when we gather here on Sundays, the reason why this is important and why you shouldn't skip church all the time is because you need to be reminded that the risen Christ is in charge. I need to be reminded that the risen Christ has redeemed me. I need to be reminded of the fact that I have been set free. You can't do Christianity by yourself. God is saving a people, not an individual. God is saving a people. You can't do that on your own. You need to be with God's people to experience resurrection power, to come and get refueled over and over and over again. And the refueling is the real realization that the Son of God was crucified and risen from the grave for you and for me and it brings new life and you'll be able to say the Lord has risen indeed life stinks someone died the Lord has risen indeed the culture is going to hell in a handbasket the Lord has risen indeed my marriage is tough the Lord has risen indeed my kids don't do what I want them to the Lord has risen indeed. I feel sad and depressed. The Lord has risen indeed. I don't like my circumstances in, in, in life. The Lord has risen indeed. I don't like the state that I live in. The Lord has risen indeed. I don't like the weather. The Lord has risen indeed. Can we go to the Lord's table?